we're not working from home, we're working through a crisis, and we happen to be at home. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Career Therapy Podcast with your host, Martin McGovern. Today, we have with us Emily Drake. And Emily, according to your LinkedIn profile, your headline says, you are a career fulfillment strategist, creating structure and inspiring hope along professional journeys. But Emily, tell us about yourself. <laughs> uh, so good to be with you, Martin. Uh, you are, you know, there's people that you encounter in your life that um, when you see, even after some time has passed, like there's just like a warm and fuzzy vibe. And I just really admire you and wish we could hang out. Um, but like story of our lives at the moment. So same, same. <laughs> uh, really grateful for this virtual opportunity. Um, and, you know, I, I, as a woman in the world and as a human being, um, I'm grappling like everyone is to, um, you know, stay connected, but also, you know, uh, practice some, some things for myself and improve myself. So, um, yeah, career fulfillment strategist feels like it's still on point. You know, that LinkedIn headline and profile, it's like, oh, right, LinkedIn, I should look at that more. But I'm grateful that how you introduced me still remains very relevant uh, to what I'm doing now, five years into this journey of um, being an entrepreneur and operating in a space where I function um, with a mental health hat on for the conversation about work. Um, and what it means to us. Um, and also really believe one of my core beliefs is that you cannot know yourself by yourself. And I continue to feel like my work as a therapist, as a facilitator, as a coach, um, and, and strategic partner is to mirror for people um, some of the, the bright spots and blind spots that they're not necessarily claiming or able to see on their own. Um, and so that has been an interesting uh, headline to embody um, in this radical new normal we're living in. Um, and it's taking on a whole different meaning about what is career and what is work. How much are we working? Should we be working more? You know, all of, all of those questions I think are really um, have always been relevant. And part of the work that I do, I feel like, is even more amplified now. Uh, sort of the importance of, of how we function in our days when we wake up, work, and go to bed in the same place. Um, which, you know, some of us who work from home regularly are like, yeah, we got this. But even for us after day three, we're like, <laughs> okay, I need to get out. So, yeah, I think that introduction still, still, still stands. I love it. Yeah, and I, I think it's so funny. Like, maybe in week one, everyone who was a remote worker before this whole thing went down was like, sweet, I got this. I'm like, I'm ready to go. And then about week three, four, we're like, we're just as crazy as everybody else. All right, let's figure this out. And um, I'm really excited to chat with you today because, um, you know, before we, we hopped on the call, we had talked a little bit about loneliness. And um, I think loneliness is such an interesting topic to talk about in regards to the job search in general, because I feel that isolate that sense of isolation is so common in job seekers, even before the whole quarantine and everything like that, because you're not in a work environment and you don't have a schedule. There's no one looking over your shoulder. And so you either have to build it yourself or find a coach and do all these different things. 
and entrepreneurs have um, a lot of loneliness that happens in their life. And, and I just think that it's, it's a topic that was incredibly relevant before the quarantine and is now just, you know, it's tenfold more, more important. So I'm really excited to get into it with you. Um, and your mission, as you had previously told me, is to, to try and end loneliness or, or bring, bring it down as far as we can, I guess. Um, and there's two different kinds of uh, loneliness that we're sort of seeing in the world right now. There is actually physically being alone. <laughs> and then there's that sense of disconnection um, that's sort of arising. And so I have a lot of friends who are currently in quarantine by themselves who are extroverts and they're losing their minds. And then we just have this sense of disconnection from our teams, disconnection from our families, disconnection in a lot of different ways. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, with the folks you're working with in your practice, how has loneliness started showing up in mm-hmm. recent weeks? Yeah. Um, so to your point, there's actual willingness to even make the admission now, this is a shift that I am lonely. Mm. It's sort of like there's a sanctioned okayness that that be something we're feeling when it was always kind of in the background. I mean, we know to be true that we're more connected than ever. Um, We're also, you know, anxiety rates, depression rates um, are also, you know, particularly for millennials and Gen Z skyrocketing. And so there's a lot that goes into the judgment of being lonely. we are, I think, in a time, especially in the last decade, where and Elizabeth Gilbert and Brené Brown are talking about this on their various podcast interviews of late, where we're feeling something, but then we also are like judging the feeling, um, which is sort of unique to this day and age, even before mm-hmm. the pandemic, you know, that it's not okay just to be sad. It's like, well, shit, should I be sad? I don't know. Is that okay? So part of what I feel has shifted is that it's okay to be lonely. Um, The articles that are getting circulated right now are less about like practical, tactical tips for job search. So we need those too. And more about like, you know, what are you feeling? Like, what do you need today? Sort of staying present. So that feels like a shift. You know, the other thing that you said about like being, being alone and and loneliness are obviously two different things. Um, But if you're living alone, Um, you know, sort of this question of like, how do you get connected um, is, is also something I think people are grappling with. So, you know, if you had a routine before, just really needing to be like evaluative of like, you know, am I, am I having um, sort of meaningful nourishing connection, which is very different than just staying connected. Um, Very different than like texting back and forth and maybe WhatsApp and, and sort of the alert systems on our phones um, and far more about the nourishment that quells loneliness is, is really sort of requires like depth and time. And we in some ways have more access to that now um, because we don't have a commute or, you know, we have some time back. And I think part of what's different right now is, is really being intentional about, you know, we need to connect as human beings. We need to have conversation in depth. How am I going to build that into my day? And something that I decided to do last night, and this comes from, as we were talking about earlier, Cal Newport's Digital Minimalism book, um, is I've, I've, from 5.30 to 6 every day, I'm going to be in my Zoom room, and I sent the link to my nearest and dearest people 
And I said, if you want to pop in and talk to me, you're not going to interrupt me. It's actually something I very much want from, you know, this time to that time. So it takes a little bit of one of the reasons I feel like people don't want to pick up the phone um, is because they don't want to be an intrusion. Um, but I think we've got to get used to like getting connected in a deeper way because that is going to be the nourishment that we need to sustain through this pandemic. It is not going to come from Facebook likes, Instagram likes, and Insta stories. So, you know, that's in the background too. So I think that changes now. The, the stakes are higher for us to really think about nourishment, not just um, surviving. That's a really interesting point when you're talking about the nourishing piece. And, and one of the things that I thought was really interesting when this whole thing sort of kicked off was you saw this explosion on social media, right? The like one to two week in like uh, anxiety. And like one of the, the kind of cliche jokes is everyone is going live like all day, every day. Influencers are going live on, on Instagram. Even, even my partner was like, geez, it's like overwhelming how many people are live right now. And, you know, being someone who live streams every day, I was like, ah, well, now I'm not important. Anyway, <laughs> like, and, and, uh, and so it's kind of interesting how this like explosion happened where people were basically like live streaming, clipping their fingernails. And, <laughs> um, and that sort of burst happened. Um, and it, it's one of those things where, you know, our, our initial reaction to this isolation is to go to the social media channels, right? But we have already known for years and years and years, speaking of digital minimalism, that doesn't actually make us feel better. It actually makes us feel worse. And one of the things that I noticed as every other coach in the entire world started doing live streams in, in response to the pandemic, the first thing I started feeling was guilt that I wasn't doing more. And I think that showed itself by me doing like an eight hour live stream and all this crazy stuff. But then that calmed down because the burst ended. And now it's just a generalized like um, sort of hum of guilt that's happening in the background. And I'm hearing that from a lot of different people, from different clients and friends and things like that. And I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are when it comes to that sort of maybe back of the brain guilt that sort of is eating away at our thoughts throughout the day, no matter what we're doing, it always feels like we should be doing something else or should be doing more. That whole should be phrase. Um, what are your yeah. thoughts around that? And how have you seen that show itself? Yeah. So to start, I think it's important to denote the difference between guilt and shame and guilt, I think is, can be really instructive. Um, I like to, when I'm working with patients and clients sort of, you know, explore guilt and see what it's trying to tell us. Um, because guilt is essentially, you know, I've done something bad. Uh, shame, right, is I am bad. And so I'm always screening for like, is this shame or is this guilt? And like, that helps me with like, what volume you said, like low level noise is guilt. You know, shame is, is uh, like, maybe not higher volume, but certainly greater intensity. So I think, you know, where I come down on kind of the guilt question is a couple of things. One, um, coming back to presence. And this is where uh, if you haven't done the work of what are my like guiding principles, what is my ethos about how I move through the world, um, what does living into my values look like? Um, and, you know, religion offers us that, coaching offers us that, therapy, you know, reflection. 
this time is going to be all the more challenging because you are truly at the mercy of input. Um, and there's plenty of it to your point. So I, I like to invite people to kind of come back to presence and really, it, you know, the serenity prayers coming to mind, right? Of like, what can you control? Um, and you can control, you know, sort of what, what is important to you. Um, and that is uh, sort of a level of decision making that I think is within our faculty. So great example. Um, I was talking to uh, a friend last night and we were talking about anxiety and people who vibrate sort of high with it, meaning um, I'm going to buy a Peloton and, um, you know, continue my workouts. I'm going to make homemade pasta. I'm going to, you know, become a chef. I'm going to build a deck. I'm going to. And what's really important is that we don't judge that if that's how you manage it. Um, there's a lot of people who continuous momentum helps them just cope with anxiety. Um, is it sustainable? I don't know. Are there consequences to it? Potentially. And that's something to work out with a professional about whether it's working for you or not. Um, but it's, I tend to vibrate lower, um, which just means that I can go into like reflection, retreat, like um, I'm a cancer as a zodiac sign, right? So like I go in my shell and that that's also um, okay. So I think, you know, what's the work is, especially in relationship and for ourselves is to not judge how we're coping right now. Um, and the guilt is okay and normal because we've got a lot, especially if you're on social comparison, comparative suffering, comparative success. Um, but to really in those moments sort of be like, who am I and, and what's my guiding principle today? And there's all sorts of rituals to be able to do that. But if you haven't done that pre-pandemic, I think the pandemic offers us a real lens to look at and be like, I'm feeling guilt, but is this important to me or is it, is it important because I think, you know, I'm going to be judged if I don't do it. Um, and I think we come out of this, you know, one of the best case scenarios with just sort of, um, a stronger sense of grounding in who we are and what's important to us. Um, so that's kind of how I would talk about guilt is like, well, what are you feeling guilty about? Are you feeling guilty you're not doing enough work um, to, in service of what goal, you know? Um, and I think a lot of the goals people have are extrinsically driven. So it does invite like, does, does it really matter to you to go live for eight hours? And why is that ego? Or is that you know, something that is more um, of service to you and who you're trying to help. That's a really good point, that extrinsic versus intrinsic. And I think what's so so interesting is as everyone's kind of learning their coping mechanisms, right? Because that's really what we're doing. As we get confronted with a crisis like this, it forces us to quickly figure out how we cope right? Because before this, we might have been able to put off things. We might have been able to get away with, you know, a few Netflix shows here and there. But, but at a certain point in a quarantine, you run out of Netflix shows, right? And you got you to gotta face yourself at some point. And that facing yourself, I think, is what's creating a lot of this anxiety in this space. And I think what's so funny is as people are figuring out their coping mechanisms, you have coping mechanisms bumping into each other, right? So. I have friends who are incredible extroverts and I found this hilarious meme where it's like uh, introverts versus extroverts at home and one is just like 
just sitting at the computer doing its, his normal thing. And the other one is like pulling at the windows and the, and the, and the shades. And I sent it to my friend. He's like, yep, that's 100% how I feel right now. <laughs> I'm the extrovert at home. And I'm like, I'm just sitting at my computer. No big deal. And, uh, but you start to see how, how people's coping me- mechanisms can, can butt heads where one friend really wants to jump on the new, uh, um, house party app every single day and other people are like can you please stop inviting me to all these zoom calls I want to just chill and relax and so when it comes to negotiating that sort of negotiating your relationship with others in this oddly sort of confined space of like we could go like I, I remember right when it happened everyone started setting up phone calls with each other and the first thing I started hearing was how do I say no to this phone call when they know that I'm not doing anything? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so it's, it's pretty interesting to see how these things butt up against each other. And how have you sort of seen that mm. negotiation or what, what thoughts do you have on how to best negotiate with others to be able to take care of yourself, but also with, there's like the kind no, right? The, this mm. kind no. I think a lot of people jump to the harsh no or the ignoring or the avoiding. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the different sort of responses you've seen and, and how people can best approach those things? Yeah. So in relationship, talking about like the friction that you're describing and, you know, there's the internal friction of just like, am I okay? Is this okay? Which is, you know, I would argue like as soon as you externalize that, meaning uh, talking to a professional or, you know, someone in your sphere that you can have a real conversation about, um, I'm always inviting people to like get out of their own head with stuff. And mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you externalize everything. But um, again, back to this, this fundamental ethos of like, you can't know yourself by yourself, like out yourself, like out some of the crazy. I think that's really powerful. Um, chances are whoever you can go to. And if you don't have someone to go to, that's where a professional can really come into play just to build the skill of knowing how to do it. But externalizing chances are you're going to hear someone be like, yep, me too. Or like, yeah, that's not what I see. Or here's what works for me. Or, you know, I've, I've got you. I'm here for you. I relate. Um, so, yeah, this friction between coping skills, I think, is really interesting. I do uh, a fair amount of work with teams and a fair amount of work in, in my sort of corporate work. And then um, I do some couples therapy as well. And... Um, you know, this sort of high vibration, low vibration of like how we deal with anxiety does come into conflict. And Harvard Business Review this week had a great article about dual career couples. So all of a sudden you're working from home. um, You both are on calls, you're both on Zoom meetings, and you may or may not have children. And how do you create some sanity and sanctuary? Home for some of us is a sanctuary for some of us, and, and this is unfortunate, it, it isn't. So you've got this new environment that really needs to be honored. And so if you think about it, it is, we have our coping mechanisms, they're probably originating from childhood. Um, you know, our default, our most like base self is coming out on a day-to-day basis right now. Um, and I think, you know, having a sort of shared code of conduct uh, an opportunity to write some rules of engagement, um, doing some institutionalized check-ins. One of the things that um, I found helpful in my own relationship 
um, but also observing with couples is uh, to a degree like some healthy compartmentalization, meaning, you know, when we sit down for lunch, like let's use that as it, let's first sit down to lunch. Um, and let's use that as a time to kind of come together and check in, like, how is your morning? Is there anything you need from me? Um, because I think that, you know, we as a culture don't normalize checking in and asking for help. Um, but to really have that be a time where there can be some vulnerability to say things like, this is a, this is a really big one that I'm seeing in relationship right now. Um, one person is coping by, uh, listening to the news. Um, getting the facts, um, being connected, being plugged in. The other person is unplugged and that drives their anxiety. Um, so how do those two people come together? And, you know, one of the ways that I've seen work, and this is with um, uh, one couple I'm, I'm thinking about is, you know, to just ask for permission. Um, are you available to check in right now? And if not, when will you be? Um, because I can't, as someone who vibrates a little lower, be like, no, I'm good for the rest of the day. Uh, in fact, into the next week, I'm fine. We don't have to check in. You know, the other person is really making a request or a bid for attention. And so if we want to have a strong relationship with that person, just saying, you know, I'm not available right now, but let's check in over lunch. And then to the extent that you can sort of routinize or, or institutionalize those things, it just creates a, a place for that energy to be shared. Um, you know, the other thing is I feel like, uh, coping together is, uh, the grace and kindness you need to have for yourself is paramount. And I'm of a big believer if, if I'm sort of disparaging of like, man, I'm lazy and I cope by retreating and I sort of use language that is punitive or judgmental about myself. There's no way that I can be empathic, um, to how you're coping. So really being mindful of like nobody's doing this right um or an, said another way there's no right way to do it mm. um we're all stumbling and figuring it out um we were talking earlier about how everything's amplified right now so if you're going to have conflict it's going to feel like 10x right um and for some people there's couples and and this is where my you know sort of my therapeutic hat um who are really coming together more right now whether it be intimately or conversationally so there's just a wide brush and scope. And I think the pandemic is raising, hopefully kind of raising the diversity of coping um, and making it all just okay. You know, it's okay. Go easy on yourself is sort of the invitation. I love that. And I think it's, it's really important because um, even before the pandemic, we, we tend to be fairly, as humans, we tend to be fairly judgmental about how we re respond to things. And you had a really good point as we were chatting at the beginning about you're not in conflict, you're in conflict during a crisis. You're not struggling with the job search, you're struggling with the job search during mm -hmm. a crisis. And so, um, you know, I, I think as we're sort of seeing these things crop up, right, it almost is forcing us to face things that maybe weren't as loud six months ago. Um, you know, yeah. little things around the house that you wanted to improve, but it wasn't such a big deal. But now that you're home all the time staring at it, they become much bigger deals, right? And these these things that sort of, like you said, amplify, um, I think part of this is is taking a step back and asking, is this actually a problem that I'm having with this person 
or is this a response that I'm having to the quarantine or to the crisis? Um, and being able to separate the person from the response. Because um, a lot of times we can take out our emotions on people or on situations. And I would assume when it comes to the job search as well, um, you know, there is already high levels of anxiety and stress when trying to find a job. So the question then becomes, you know, in this new context, you're stressed out about the job and stressed out about the, the, the situation, the crisis, and stressed out about how they overlap. And that, that ability to separate, I think, is something that we, we, you know, strive to practice. And I'm kind of curious how you've seen separation mm -hmm. happening or, or maybe detaching from certain things in order to be able to handle things one at a time. How have you seen that play out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is, I appreciate you bringing up job search and I know that's, you know, um, folks who are watching may find themselves either pre-contemplation very much in it or, or having come out of it, right? Because as much as I'm seeing there, you know, the unemployment right now, we don't even need to talk, it's just mm -hmm. exponential. Um, also seeing, and I, I, you know, LinkedIn has been kind of helpful. I'm like, wow, three or four people landed or posted that they landed yesterday. Yeah. So I, I hesitate to say, um, I think part of what hiring managers, recruiters, um, organizations at large are, are grappling with is like, there's just so much. What's happening right now that I'm seeing is like there's so much brainstorming, ideating, like philosophizing, thinking that it's it can be paralyzing. Like, do I keep going or how do I change my tactics? And we just the answer is like, and I consider myself to be an expert in a couple of things. I'm I'm saying I don't know a lot. Um, there's sort of a shared experience, and I think it's important for people looking for work to. And, and people who are hiring to kind of have some humility about this. Like we've n literally never done this before. Um, so, you know, compartmentalizing the fact that like, first of all, we've also never shared an experience like that before. Mm. So if you're looking for a way to connect with someone, I would, I would sort of say like, I, if you're taking notes right now, like copy down what Martin's asking me and, and let this shared experience be a way for you to connect with other people, including employers. Um, including people that um, you might be kind of networking with in, in service of progress, you know, making your career um, advance. And so, you know, uh, compartmentalizing the fact that you are having your own experience right now and potentially really allowing this to be a moment of like shared experience, you inherently have someone, something in common with everyone you talk to which is sort of the great equalizer of all this, the pandemic. Um, but I think, you know, the uh, what's going on in the world and what's going on with me, part of what I've noticed about myself um, is I'm very ego focused right now. Like I'm like, what's in my, that's the danger, right? We're in our houses. It gets microscopic. The, I'm like, I got a Swiffer on my floor. I'm just focused there. Every morning when I journal lately, it's been like zoom out. Um, zoom out. And the only way that I can zoom out is in conversation. Um, and so that raises the stakes for me of connecting with what I call, you know, sort of my inner circle um, and having them tell me things like my, you know, my father was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer this week, or um, I landed a new job this week, or because that is, those sorts of things signal normalcy for us when nothing's normal. Um, 
people are still getting jobs. People are still, um, you know, grieving, uh, things that are very, um, sort of, um, time bound when we're all grieving in, in another way. But yeah, I guess that would be, you know, as I think about compartmentalization, what's been a service to me and kind of what I'm noticing in my clients is, um, you know, the ability to make it uh, a bigger than you sort of experience um, while also honoring your experience. And that is a new skill too, because we are as Americans in particular, really obsessed with self-sufficiency um, and self-analysis and navel, we call it navel gazing, right? Um, sometimes the patients in therapy will be like, really, I'm going to talk about myself for an hour. This feels a little excessive, right? Um, so the invitation is, yeah, talk about like be in your process, but, but you, you, I think zooming out is critical, um, for sanity, uh, now and now especially, but always. I love that. Yeah. This idea that, um, you know, when we are, and this is something that happens in the job search all the time when we're at home with nowhere to go, I mean, especially now, but in general, when we're at home with nowhere to go, we tend to forget then everything's not about us. And that is a big piece in the job search and, and actually an opportunity for folks because you are, like, you know, when this all hit, people go, okay, so no one's hiring. That's the first response. No one's hiring. Everyone's frozen or laying off. No one's hiring. And I go, I mean, just like the holidays, there are always people doing something, right? And there are, there are businesses that are, that their business has increased because of the pandemic. Um, and then there's ones that have flatlined and there's ones that are going down, but all exist. And regardless of what the company's going through, everyone is responding in some way, shape or form. And our job as a job seeker is to see how we can help people, whether they're increasing business, flatlining business or decreasing business. And I think that that approach of getting out of, oh no, this is how it's affecting me, into this is affecting everybody, how can I be of help, is a, is a really nice shift in getting out of our own way sometimes um, and getting to this point of, you know, and, and this is something beyond the pandemic, I think. I think this is something just in life, if you're not helping someone, if you don't understand the value of what you're doing and how it impacts their lives, their business, their stuff, it's very tough to make a convincing argument um, as to why they should give you money or something like that. And so um, this idea of really getting out of our own way and thinking about who we can help, how we can help, and what is maybe our best approach to it uh, to make it more personalized, um, I think is really incredible. And I think you're, you're, what you're talking about here with journaling and self-reflection, it's like you start with the ego, but then you try to expand it out. And that idea of zooming is so critical, both in our interactions with each other, our interactions with potential careers, our interactions with the world right now. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, even when you're on a Zoom call, you're staring at yourself, right? And and you just spend the whole time like, wait, what is that thing on me? <laughs> and so... Um, I, I do. I really love that point that you're making there. I do hide the self view. I'm not right now. I forgot to, but I've been getting in that habit for that very reason. I, I'm obsessed with myself. I think I'm fascinating. I'm, um, you know, uh, but I, I really, the world gets so small 
um, and my own feelings feel so big that I, I, you know, I, I struggle with that too of, um, you know, uh, the self-importance right now. And I also would love to pride myself on like, Oh, I'm always thinking about what's best for everyone else. And it's like, I'm really not. Um, so I, I offer that as, you know, a therapist and a coach and I, like, I'm, I'm not immune um, to the world getting really small right now. And also what you said earlier about, you know, like when to be of service and how to be of service. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, that that's, that is a decision that is something that's within our power to, to sort of affect and, and have a point of view on. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, mm, it's a dance. It's a dance for sure for me too. And I really love what you just said there, which is it's affecting you too. It's affecting me. It's affecting everyone. And I think in these times of crisis, I think a lot of times we sort of look externally for someone to validate however we're feeling, right? To give us answers, to tell us what to do. I actually had someone once, we were going back and forth um, doing coaching. And at one point they just said, look, here's what I really want. I just want you to tell me what to do. And this abdication of responsibility, this um, desire not to be the one in control, I think is an interesting thing that exists in the world. Um, you know, as we're all stuck inside, we're watching these weird shows about cults of personality and tiger kings and all this stuff. And I find it fascinating how, um, how strong the desire is to cede your responsibility to someone else. And one thing I want to put out there as a coach is that I don't know what's right for everyone and I don't have all the answers. Hence why we bring other people on this podcast to talk. And I think like um, sometimes that, that knowledge that these experts that are out there, these people that are seemingly having all the answers all of a sudden, even though like how, one of the first jokes I heard, uh, my buddy sent me a meme and he goes, how long before entrepreneurs start start releasing uh, courses on how to deal with a pandemic. And I was like, literally 24 hours. And I'm sure that there are some. And these, I, it, hopefully it's coming from a good place, but it's also coming from an ego place. And I think that whenever someone is like saying that they have all the answers, I get very skeptical. And I think that being a coach in your position and in my position and saying like, this is affecting us too, right? Like, I'm getting up and I'm doing my live streams every morning still because I know people have questions, have questions and need answers. But even on those, I'm like, I'm tired. I'm stressed. I'm like, I don't know what the answers are for a lot of these things. And I'm watching Tiger King too. So, you know, <laughs> when you think about that and you think about, um, you know, where to look and who to look for and what attributes you should be seeking out in a professional, because you say it's good to go find a professional and talk about these things externally. What do you recommend people do? How do you recommend that they approach it so that they're, you know, finding the right help as well? Yeah, good question. The, my point of view on this sort of comes from what is probably um, most hallmark in the 12 step framework, which is, um, you know, when you're looking for as an, as someone who struggles with addiction, when you're looking for someone to sponsor you, um, you're looking for someone who has what you want. And so 
spoiler alert, comes back to you. Um, what do you want? And I would be very intentional to two sort of offers here. One is keep the circle small um, of people that you can go to um, to have conversation, uh, which is again, that nourishing substance when it comes to looking for, and then, and then I think there's also just like, be really, when I say intentional, like, why is that person your friend? Um, and you know, you could ask, I think Simon Sinek does a lot of talking on this, but you could ask, you could be like, well, he's a good listener. It's like, no, but specifically Martin, like, why is Martin your friend? And it's not in any way to sort of like make Martin not your friend, but I think we need to hire people as our friends, just like we would hire people for jobs. And, be, and what I mean by that is not, you know, to be capitalistic about it, but to be specific and intentional um, because we have uh, time, but we also have limited energy. Um, so that's, that's one of the things that I would just sort of offer is to keep it small you know, the allure, it's, it's pretty new that we have, you know, thousands of connections. Um, but, you know, the people that we can be ourselves with, and that frankly, you know, make us better are on a hand that I could count, um, uh, probably. So that's one thing. When you're looking then for a professional, oh, God, it's hard. I mean, it's it's like dating and you might get it wrong and you might not jive with a professional. One thing I see really happen frequently is um, it's hard for us to have confrontation, period. But if you do hire a professional, so step one is like, try someone out. Um, whether you talk to those three, four people on your, that you can count on one hand and say, do you know anyone? Um, you know, I would say the, the, the thing that would be wrong is to not look for help. Um, but everything else is sort of a, a crapshoot after that because it is a process. And one thing I notice as a coach and a therapist and, and just a, a facilitator and corporate partner is that people are really hesitant to say, hey, could we have a little more, um, like you said, can you make, can you help, can you just give me some advice on something? Um, or could we talk a little bit more about work? Cause I noticed we talk a lot about my childhood in these sessions, but I've got like issues with my job. I think when you co-sign over authority to someone, it's normal. You're paying them. Like, what am I paying you for? Like guide me. Um, but you have a responsibility in the relationship to ask for what you need and great professionals are going to say, and I'm, I'm not putting myself in that camp necessarily, but We'll stay with you in that in that conversation or conflict and say, yeah, you know, tell me more about why you want the advice. Um, and then to the extent that I can give it to you, I will. I'll meet the need to the extent that I can. And that's a relationship, right? It is not a relationship to sort of go to a therapist or a coach and say, like, you know, I'm at your mercy. Um, you have to participate in it. But I do see a lot of people and people, you know, friends of mine that come to me and they're like, well, my therapist doesn't do that. And I'm like, well, did you ask them if they could? Um, and it's like, oh, I can do that. And it's like, yeah, you can definitely do that. You know, therapists are people too. Coaches are people too. And gone are the days, and I'm so relieved by this, of like me needing to be like an empty chair of like a totally objective. Um, you know, I bring my weaknesses and ego into everything that I do. And I think, 
Um, that's intimacy, just that dance of like, this is what I need. Can you meet the need? Yes or no? No? Well, then let's talk about that's your responsibility. So it can feel, I think, especially if in your position of transition and maybe feeling a little unmoored, it can feel like, well, am I entitled to be annoyed, to be angry, to be frustrated with you? Um, and I find that the most, the most powerful moments in relationship are those moments that are like sticky, where we get to just say like, I'm pissed or I'm annoyed, and then something comes out of it. So um, yeah, the, I would say it's like a handful of people as your squad, who has what you want is a good rubric for like, um, hiring people in that squad, and then to get started with getting help. Um, and as you go, it's sort of building the plane as you go, you'll find out about like, what do you really need in a helping professional? Um, I don't think you can do that just from like a seated position. I think you have to be in relationship to learn that skill. So um, those are a couple of things. I love that. Yeah, there's, uh, it reminds me of the average of five. Uh, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And that concept, that's a concept that for me was, you know, very altering in the, in the folks I surrounded myself with and the direction I was heading. And I think, you know, one of the things that this is exposing is maybe even some of the negative sides of the people that we are in connection with and, and think that we have, you know, strong connections with. And you sort of see how people react and who's, who's being, who cares about other people? Are they still just going out and touching everything? And, you know, there's those horrible human beings that are on social media, like coughing on fruit at stores and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it, it really does, you know, tension brings out, you know, some of your core self, like some of the stuff that maybe you've been able to put a shield up on. And, and I think it's interesting to sort of see how people react under pressure and maybe not be judgmental about it to your point, but to be aware of it and to, to take note of it and then respond appropriately. And, and your point of you have to say it, you have to articulate the things that you're feeling. And I think one of the toughest things about going through this, and you're really encouraging me to get back to journaling, is is saying what it is in words, right? We don't always have a very good vocabulary for what's happening. Um, you know, I think there's, God knows how many emotions, but typically there's like three that people can articulate. There's what anger, happiness, and sadness. And usually people can only really articulate two of those. I'm, I'm good right now, or I'm super angry. And that's, those are the two frequencies that I play in. And I think expanding that vocabulary is so important. Um, and we can only do that by what you've said, you know, talking to people, writing it down, getting it out of our head, trying to find the words, hell, pick up a thesaurus. I don't know. But like, these are the mm -hmm. kinds of things that I think really can stretch our ability to cope. Because if you don't know what you're feeling, you can't find the right coping mechanisms. And regardless of whether it's, you know, work or family, which is all one thing right now, because everyone's at home. Um, there's, there's a lot of new communication skills that I think we need to develop in this, in this sort of new world, this new normal, as you phrased it. Yes. Yeah, there's um, an app that I use with patients in particular, but coaching clients too. And in fact, I'm thinking I've also used it with corporate clients, but, and there's a variety of them. But uh, the one that I really like comes out of um, 
uh, Yale University's uh, sort of work in um, social and emotional intelligence. Um, and it's called Mood Meter. And what I love about it is it sort of groups feelings into high intensity positive, uh, low intensity positive, and then high intensity negative, low intensity negative. But within those four quadrants, there's a beautiful tapestry of things to pull from. Like, you know, there's a difference between feeling like forlorn, feeling, um, you know, sort of um, uh, sad. There's a difference between being irate and irritated. There's a difference between, you know, contentment and ex ec ecstasy, right? So um, to your point about sometimes I, even I, yes, it's true, can't really locate it. And uh, I just, sometimes I can just be like, my chest is tight. And even I, as a therapist, like need help to be like, what is that? Uh, um, and I go to therapy myself. So it's like, I need help to, there's so much, right? So you could ask me, and this is why I'm a fan of the question, like, how are you feeling in this moment versus how are you feeling? Or how are you doing today versus like, how are you doing? Um, because it just is too much. It's always been too much, the question. Um, but I think especially now with like, we talked about, you know, the compartmentalization, but macro, micro, work, home, um, we all, I think, are raising our awareness of like wanting to be there for each other. Um, but if we think about it as learning a new language um, and, and creating new rules of engagement, like we're, we're starting from, from a very tender place. So just having some grace for ourselves and like, you know what, I don't know what I'm feeling. Like, what are my options again? Yeah, maybe that's it. Um, and the importance of knowing what we're feeling is so important when it comes to stress, because if we get stuck in a feeling, we can't, it's like constipation. It's like, we can't quite like have an outlet for that feeling. Um, and look, your partner at home or your mom or your, the co-founder of your business are probably not the right repository for like clearing the shoot as it were, <laughs> like be mindful. That's why like professionals, right? It's like, Ooh, let me put that there. Cause that's my job. But like, we got to identify it first. And then once we've identified it, like we got to, we got to work it through. And that's quite frankly, that's like a bodily process sometimes like running you had mentioned or, or you didn't mention that. I just assume you're a runner. <laughs> Are you a runner? I, I was, I haven't run in a long time because I tried to do strength okay. training, but now I'm in nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> I'm just stuck inside. Me too. I'm, I'm a walker, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I'm like a, yeah, I'm a walker. Right. But yeah, that, there's, there's a great book, uh, Burnout, um, how to, how to complete the stress cycle. Um, Emily Nagoski and her sister Amelia wrote it came out last year and it's like, we're experiencing all these feelings and it's like, well, once the stressor goes away, like the call's over, Woo! right? The Zoom call's done. Um, we still have the stress uh, in our body, even if the stressor's over. And so how do we complete that cycle? Um, but you got to be able to name it first, which is if you're starting from that, it's like, yeah, it's like feelings 101. It's like Spanish 101. Yeah. Right. So. And that's how you can actually yeah. ask for help. Like if you, yeah. if you can't name it for yourself, how are you going to ask for help with it? And I think that's such a big piece because once you articulate, oh, I'm not angry, I'm annoyed. Okay, what am I annoyed about? And then you identify the things that are annoying you. And then when you and your partner are about to get into a fight, you go, wait a second, I'm just annoyed generally. And right now this is really triggering it. 
And then you can almost invite them into help, right? You can say like, hey, I'm annoyed. The help I need right now is space or the help I need right now is to talk or whatever the thing might be. And that's how we can collaborate on solutions. And I think the same goes for the job search, right? If, if it's an antagonistic thing of give me your money because I need money for my uh, life and the company's like, give me your time and, and, and skills, but we don't want to give you our money, then it's an antagonist, like it's a against each other thing. But if you're like, here's what I can do and how it helps, here's what you need and how these skills help you, then you're collaborating on a solution rather than trying to get something. And I think the same goes in both personal and professional worlds. Yeah, great point. Well said. Well said. You're good at this. Thanks. <laughs> um, and so as we get to the end of the conversation here, I always like to uh, highlight a handful of takeaways. Um, I have a ton here, so I'm, I'm going to bear with me. Um, and then feel free to chime in um, if you have some additional things to add to any of these, if I'm missing any, any key points. Sure. Um, so the first piece here is, my first takeaway is that it's okay to feel lonely or to feel whatever you're feeling. Um, and, and making sure that what we're doing is identifying it and naming it. Um, the second one is to focus on what we can control versus what we can't. The third is to um, try not to judge how other people are coping, especially when your coping mechanisms butt heads. Uh, the fifth one is to zoom out, get out of your own head and try and see the bigger picture. It'll help reduce some of the ego and reduce some of the... Uh, high intensity feelings. Um, number six is to create some rules of engagement so that you can interact with yourself and others better. Number eight or seven, I lost count, is uh, to keep your circle small and to hire your friends. I really love that idea of like, you know, right now we're in a place where everyone wants to connect with every single person that they've ever known in their whole phone and the I don't know if you're on the um, house party app, but it just keeps notifying me of every person I've ever met throughout my life who's joined the app today. And I'm like, oh no, do I have to reconnect with that person? <laughs> and then number nine, or I, I have numbers here, but they're not coordinated with what I'm saying, so I'm skipping things. <laughs> but uh, you have the responsibility to ask for what you need. It's your responsibility. If people aren't, if, if, if no one's giving you what you need, chances are you haven't asked for the right things. So I love that idea of always taking ownership, always taking responsibility for things. Was there any point in there that you would want to double down on and highlight? Hmm. I think that last one is really, that's just really sticking for me today, um, which is like you have faculty and this is a time of, Ooh, yeah, like rich inner world and interaction with other people. But it's also, um, I guess, I guess the thing that I would just sort of add as an overlay is like one day at a time. Um, this is maybe not the time for self-optimization or creativity in, in, in triplicate or um, just to, as much as you can do two things. And I like the both and philosophy. And again, I'm offering maybe a number 10, not a, a reflection of any of the nine. Please do. Um, but like we can both know God willing that in this moment we are safe and we are okay and be worried about the future. 
So just know that you are both and that um, sometimes it'll be more of the worry. Sometimes it'll be, I think what we want to do is kind of raise our resiliency of like, I'm okay right now. Um, and, and always, you know, coming back to like, it's, you know, it's today and this is what I'm doing today. And I think journaling is such a great tool for that because it gets us in like, oh man, I, I did that today or that is in service to my values. So um, no, the, the presence thing and then the both and it, we're so nuanced as human beings. Like we're never one thing, which I love, but a lot of people are like, yeah, please like, <laughs> tell me what to feel because it's overwhelming. So, um, and then the last thing would just be like, be kind, be kind to yourself and be kind to the people around you to the best of your ability. You're going to mess up. You are going to hurt people. You're not going to mean to, you can repair it. It's okay. Um, and the people that are those like special people in your life are going to, they're going to ride it out with you. So, um, yeah, easy does it. I love it. I love it so much. And <laughs> as we come to a close here today, I want to say thank you so much for joining us, Emily. Uh, where can folks find you online if they want to learn more or get in touch with you? Yeah. So I'm on, uh, I'm currently on a digital minimalism detox. Uh, but my email, so let me give that first, is emily at the collective-academy.com. You can email me there. I'd love to correspond with people there. If you want to follow me in a more passive way, happy to do that. My Instagram handle is at E-M-D-R-A-K-E at mdrake. Um, and then you can find the Collective Academy on Facebook uh, and Twitter at at Find Collective. Um, so that's where you can engage with some career resources. Um, or if you're interested in leadership development programming for yourself, I will say a lot of corporations right now are like, we want to give people something, but quite frankly, we don't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, so if you're looking for a job in that world, or if you've always thought about maybe I could market my services in a non-traditional way, there's going to be a great need. And I think for helping professions, our work really starts a few months from now. Um, when everyone has sort of forgotten what we've talked about today and is back to business as usual in the new normal, mm -hmm. our job is to help people stay, stay on track with what we've, what we've discussed today because it's meaningful, right? So those are a few ways. That's wonderful. I hope everyone tracks you down on all those locations. And I just want to say thank you again for joining us today. This was a wonderful conversation and a wonderful time. And I hope you take care of yourself. Thank you, Martin. I loved it. And I uh, think the world of you. So thanks for having me.